from priest to people. Something fundamental happens at the beginning of this parasha, and the story is one of the greatest, if rarely acknowledged, contributions of Judaism to the world. Until now, Vayikra has been largely about sacrifices, purity, the sanctuary and the priesthood. It has been, in short, about a holy place, holy offerings, and the elite and holy people, Aaron and his descendants, who minister there. Suddenly, in chapter 19, the text opens up to embrace the whole of the people and the whole of life. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is the first and only time in Leviticus that so inclusive an address is commanded. The sages say that it means that the contents of the chapter were proclaimed by Moses to a formal gathering of the entire nation, It is the people as a whole who are commanded to be holy, not just an elite, the priests. It is life itself that is to be sanctified. As the chapter goes on to make clear, holiness is to be made manifest in the way the nation makes its clothes and plants its fields, in the way justice is administered, workers are paid and business conducted. The vulnerable, the deaf, the blind, the elderly and the stranger are to be afforded special protection. The whole society is to be governed by love without resentments or revenge. What we witness here, in other words, is the radical democratization of holiness. All ancient societies had priests. We've encountered four instances in the Torah thus far of non-Israelite priests. There was Malkitzedek, Abraham's contemporary, described as Kohen Lael Elyon, priest of the God Most High. There's Potiphar, Joseph's father-in-law, the Egyptian priests as a whole, whose land Joseph didn't nationalize, and Yitro, Kohen Moshe, uh, Kohen Midian, Yisro, Moses' father-in-law, who was a Midianite priest. The priesthood was not unique to Israel, and everywhere it was an elite Here, for the first time, we find a code of holiness directed to the people as a whole. We are all called on to be holy. In a strange way, though, this comes as no surprise, because already at the covenant-making ceremony at Mount Sinai, God had told Moses to say to the people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a kingdom all of whose members are in some sense priests and a nation that is in its entirety holy. The very first intimation is earlier still in the first chapter of Breshit with its monumental statement, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, what is revolutionary about this is not that somebody could be in the image of God, that's how they Mesopotamian kings and the Egyptian pharaohs were seen as the children of the gods or the embodiment or the chief intermediary of the gods. What was revolutionary is that all of us share that dignity, regardless of class, color, culture or creed. We are all in the image and likeness of God. Thus was born the cluster of ideas that, though they took thousands of years to be realized, led to the distinctive culture of the West, the non-negotiable dignity of the human person, the idea of human rights, and eventually the political and economic expressions of these ideas, namely liberal democracy and the market economy. The point is not that these ideas were fully formed in the minds of human beings during the biblical era. Manifestly, it wasn't so. 
The concept of human rights comes from the 17th century. Democracy was not fully implemented until the 20th, but already in Genesis 1, the seed was planted. That is what Jefferson meant in his famous words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The irony is that these three texts, Genesis 1, Exodus 19 and Leviticus 19, are all spoken in the voice of Torah Kohanim, the priestly voice. On the face of it, priests weren't egalitarian. They came from a single tribe, the Levites, and from a single family, that of Aaron, within the tribe. To be sure, that wasn't how it was originally intended. It was originally intended to be a role that went to the firstborn who were saved in when the last plague struck the Egyptians. It was only after the sin of the golden calf, when the tribe of Levi did not participate, that the change was made. But even so, the priesthood would have been an elite, a role reserved specifically for firstborn males. So deep is the concept of equality written into monotheism that it emerges precisely from the priestly voice from which we would least expect it. And the reason is that religion in the ancient world was not accidentally but essentially a defense of hierarchy. Because with the development of agriculture, then of cities, what emerged were highly stratified societies with a ruler on top, surrounded by a royal court, beneath which was an administrative elite, and at the bottom an illiterate mass that was conscripted from time to time as an army or as a labour force. What kept the structure in place was an elaborate doctrine of a heavenly hierarchy. That's what myth is all about. And uh, Plato said, for instance, that if necessary, hierarchy would be held in place by a noble lie, that some people were made of gold, some of silver, and others were bronze. Monotheism removes this entire mythological basis of hierarchy. There is no order among the gods because there are no gods. There's only one God, creator of all. Some form of hierarchy will always exist. Armies need commanders, films need directors, orchestras need conductors. But these are functional, not ontological. They're not a matter of birth. So it's all the more impressive to find the most egalitarian sentiments coming from the world of the priest whose religious role was a matter of birth. The concept of equality that we find in the Torah specifically and Judaism generally, isn't an equality of wealth. Judaism is not communism. It isn't an equality of power. Judaism isn't anarchy. It's fundamentally an equality of dignity. We are all equal citizens in the nation whose sovereign is God himself. And that is the idea that's born in the Bible and most explicitly in today's par- this week's parasha. What is truly remarkable, though, is what happened after the biblical era and the destruction of the Second Temple. Faced with the loss of the entire infrastructure of the holy, the temple, its priests and sacrifices, Judaism translated the um, entire system of avodah, divine service, into the everyday life of ordinary Jews. 
In prayer, every Jew became a priest offering a sacrifice. In repentance, he became a high priest, atoning for his sins and those of his people. Every synagogue in Israel or elsewhere became a fragment of the temple in Jerusalem. Every table became an altar, every act of charity or hospitality a kind of sacrifice. Terror study. Once the speciality of the priest became the right and obligation of everyone. Not everyone could wear the crown of priesthood, but everyone could wear the crown of Torah. A mamzer talmin chacham, a Torah scholar of illegitimate birth, say the sages is greater than Amharet's Kohen Gadol, an ignorant high priest. Out of the devastating tragedy of the loss of the temple, the sages created a religious and social order that came closer to the ideal of the people as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation than had ever been previously realized. The seed had been planted long before in the opening of our parasha, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Kedoshim to you be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness belongs to all of us when we turn our lives into the service of God and society into the home for the divine presence. Shabbat Shalom.